It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power. Loyalty. And luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Fourth Sinopoli Cultural Podcast. A podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, Looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This will be a very quick episode for you today. I have only one part, which is to review the friendly match on Sunday against Ascoli. This match was played in front of about 2,000 fans at the Stadio Teofilo Patini in Castel di Sangro. Amongst the fans were the Curva B, who were seated behind the goal, as they always are, According to Tuto Sport, the Ultras had their first meeting with Spalletti, Insignia, and Koulibaly at the team's hotel in Rivizondoli before the match. The Ultras demanded a commitment to the shirts, which is pretty standard dialogue between Ultras and the club. They also had a banner behind the goal that read, Today is not a simple walk. We demand respect for our absence in the stands. That was a protest against the government's limits on how many fans can attend Serie A matches this season. I'm not sure how effective a protest at a friendly match will be if I'm being honest, but in any event, it was great to see fans in the seats again and to hear their songs. They cheered us on as we won the match 2-1 on goals from Lorenzo Insigne, who scored from the penalty spot, and Ali Felmas, who scored less than a minute after coming off the bench. Even though Ascoli scored, they really had very few chances in the match. In fact, that goal came off of their one legitimate chance in the match. Even though this was a friendly, I was slightly concerned with how easily we conceded that goal. I'll break down what happened on that goal in just a bit. It was also somewhat disappointing that we created so little in the attack despite having so much of the ball. We dominated possession pretty well the entire match and we were constantly knocking on the door but either the final ball or the finish left more to be desired. Those two issues, conceding a goal to an opponent who created very little and failing to create enough clear-cut chances ourselves, have probably been the two biggest issues we've had over the last couple of seasons. 
That might make you question whether this season will be any different under Spalletti than it was under Gattuso. I certainly think it will be. I've tried to point those differences out in our previous match reviews, and I'll expand on that today. It's worth noting that Spalletti just got a handful of regular starters back from vacation, so he hasn't had much time to work with them yet. That could be why the team looked similar in this match as we did last season. Meret, Di Lorenzo, Fabian, and Insigne were the players to return from vacation and were thrown straight into the friendly. Yet, even from these players who've only just met Spalletti, I saw a few things that were clearly influenced by him, especially the play of Lorenzo Insigne. This was the strongest squad Spalletti's had to work with since taking over as manager. Only Dries Mertens and Chucky Lozano were not available for this match, and both of them returned to the club on Tuesday. I think the squad Spalletti fielded for this match was as close to a starting 11 for the Venezia match as we're going to see. I know a lot of people want to see Chucky Lozano start on the right wing, but we'll have to be patient with him. I think he will get there, but I don't think we'll see Lozano start for the first month or so of the season, even if he is physically fit to do so. And I'm not trying to slander Lozano, I think he's an excellent player and has a lot to offer, but we need to remember that he just missed a whole month of football, so he is now behind the eight ball. And the situation is exasperated by the fact that we now have a new manager with a different philosophy on how we want to play even if we are playing the same formation. That means a player like Matteo Politano is a month ahead of Lozano in terms of learning to play how Spalletti wants to play. This is another reason why we should be grateful to have two starting right wingers. I think back to the 2019-20 campaign when Koulibaly joined the team late in the summer training because of the Africa Cup of Nations. That was arguably Koulibaly's worst season for Napoli, and I think that was largely because he was playing catch-up most of the time. Unfortunately, we didn't have the luxury of another world-class centre-back that could have started in his place while he got caught up. So for Lozano supporters, don't be too hard on Spalletti if he doesn't start Lozano right away. I think he needs time to learn. And for the Politano supporters, don't be too hard on Lozano and please don't use this as validation that Politano is the better player. We need both of them to be at their best if we want to compete in all competitions. And with a healthy squad, there's no reason why we shouldn't. So with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Ascoli lined up in a 4-3-1-2 with Nicola Leali in goal. Eric Botteguin and Anastasio Zavlonitis started at centre-back. Tommaso Dorazio started at left-back and Federico Basquirotto started at right-back. Mirko Eramo started in the centre of the midfield with Michele Colocolo to his left and Manuel Castorani to his right. Finally up top, Diego Fabrini played as the trequartista behind Sufian Bidawi and Federico Dionisi. For Napoli, Luciano Spalletti lined up in a 4-3-3 with Alex Meret in goal. Kaladu Koulibaly and Kostas Manolas started together at centre-back. Mario Rui started again at left-back and Giovanni Di Lorenzo returned to get his first start of the summer at right-back. Stanislav Lobotka started as the regista behind Fabian Ruiz and Piotr Zielinski. Lorenzo Insigne returned to start in his usual position on the left wing. Matteo Politano started on the right wing and Victor Osimhen started at striker. Alright, so let's get to the match. As I've tried to do with all of our friendlies this summer, the goal with these reviews is really to get a better understanding of how we will approach matches this season under Luciano Spalletti. We've seen a fair bit of experimentation in these friendlies and this match was no exception. The most obvious change was that we lined up in a 4-3-3 instead of a 4-2-3-1, but this was only an experiment in the sense that Spalletti has favored the 4-2-3-1 in the past, but in reality the two systems are very similar and we saw the 4-3-3 during the match against Vizla Krakow. It's certainly a setup that this team is familiar with. We haven't really turned over that many players in the last two seasons and this is a formation that we've used in the past. 
The general consensus heading into this match is that we would play the 4-3-3 because Lobotka is better suited for it. I thought the midfield trio of Lobotka, Fabian, and Zielinski worked quite well. You could see the chemistry that Fabian and Zielinski have together, which they've developed over the last three seasons. The one player who's not so accustomed to the 4-3-3, though, is Victor Osiman. In fact, he's the reason why we started playing the 4-2-3-1 in the first place. There are some journalists who see Victor Osiman struggling in the 4-3-3, including Paolo Del Genio. He told Radio Gol after the match that in the 4-3-3, Osiman doesn't have the reference close to him because no one is behind him, and then when the midfielders join the attack, the field is too crowded which makes it difficult to find the vertical or the through ball for Osiman. I don't necessarily disagree with Del Genio, Osiman wasn't as effective in this match as he was in the previous matches, he didn't score nor did he have as many chances, and a few of his chances were in the air where we know he's not as effective. However, he did win the penalty, which I actually thought was a bit of a questionable decision if I'm being honest, and the service to Osiman wasn't great in this match. There was one play in the first half where Insigne got open down the left wing and he had Osiman open in front of the goal, but elected to play the ball behind Osiman to pick out Politano's late run and Politano's shot was blocked. We also saw Osiman make a great play in the second half to win the long ball from Elmas and get into space. The defender fouled him to slow him down, otherwise he would have been off to the races. I think if this was more than just a friendly, the VAR might have reviewed that play to see if the defender was the last man back and whether that should have been a red card. So like we saw last season, even when Osiman doesn't score and even when he has quote-unquote an off game, he's still pretty good. What's interesting is that Spalletti did have a creative solution to address the lack of a player behind Osiman that Del Genio mentioned. That solution was to have Insigne shift quite often into the middle of the park. That was the most curious tactic that I saw in this match and I must say I thought it was rather effective. We know from his time at Roma that Spalletti can be pretty creative with players shifting between multiple positions. At Roma we saw Francesco Totti shift between the number 9 and the number 10 positions. And after seeing this match I can't help but wonder if Insigne will shift between the 11 and the 10. He spent a lot of time in the middle of the field and in doing so, he was our most creative player. We often saw Insigne playing those diagonal through balls to Politano cutting in from the right wing, and with Insigne playing more centrally, I think he'll get many more opportunities to shoot at goal, and if that's how we end up playing, then Insigne could well best his career high in goals, which he set last season. With Insigne constantly drifting inward, we saw plenty of Mario Rui on the left wing. I've praised Mario Rui's play over the last few matches. I wasn't blown away by his performance in this one. It is difficult to assess a defender's play when he has so little defending to do. Rui did win a couple of free kicks in dangerous areas, which is normally a good thing, but we've always struggled to convert set pieces and this match was no exception. Now, Rui did have his share of the blame for that goal that we conceded, though I wouldn't put that entirely on him. As usual, whenever we concede a goal, there are typically many players at fault. At first glance, it appeared like Rui lost Botteguin, but Rui was guarding the post. Botteguin was left completely unmarked at the back post. Neither Insigne nor Zelensky were on that side for some reason. Insigne was actually on the opposite side pressing the short pass. And even though Botteguin is a center back, our center backs can't drift that far out wide on a free kick. But that doesn't mean that they didn't deserve some of the blame either. Neither of them picked up the run of Dorazio who was left unmarked in front of the goal. And he's not even the one who scored. Bidawi scored at the far post and he too was left unmarked. It looked to me like both Di Lorenzo and Lobotka got caught watching the play. So to me there were plenty of people to blame for the goal beyond just Mario Rui. 
Back to Insigne, I thought he was the best of the players who returned from vacation. In fact, I think he was the best player on the field, which is really quite remarkable having barely had any time to train under Spalletti. For me, this was just another indication of the quality of our captain and the level that he's playing at right now, having just won the Euros. He converted the penalty, which, as we saw against Vizla Krakow, isn't a given, and he assisted on Almas's goal with another one of those gorgeous diagonal through balls. Credit to Almas for making that run and for the finish. He's a player that certainly deserved the goal for how hard he's worked all summer. I thought Fabian Ruiz looked pretty good as well, particularly in the first half, so I was a little surprised to see Correa de los Sport print that he was our worst player. He looked quite comfortable playing in the 4-3-3 with Zielinski, which, like I said, is something we've seen before. You can see the chemistry they have with each other, and Lobotka seemed to fit in quite well with them as well. Of the three players, I thought Di Lorenzo struggled the most. It's not that he was bad or anything. Like Insigne and Mario Rui on the left, Di Lorenzo and Politano worked very well together on the right. I'm sure Politano was happy to have Di Lorenzo back on that side, and I think it's not a coincidence that Politano played quite well in this match. That's not a shot at Kevin Malqui. The reality is simply that Politano and Di Lorenzo have played together for much longer. As I said with Mario Rui, it's difficult to assess Di Lorenzo's play when he had very little defending to do, but I thought at times he looked just half a step behind the play. Another noticeable change in tactics is that we were playing much more vertically, much more direct in this match than I recall us playing in the previous ones. On a few occasions in this match, we saw us progress the ball from midfield to the Ascoli box in only two passes. That really stretches the opponent and will certainly help create chances for Osiman. It's quite clear that Spalletti wants them to play quickly as well. That second pass is often just one touch. We saw it right after the restart with Zielinski passing to Insigne, who immediately played Osiman through to create a threat. We saw it on the goal where Koulibaly played the ball out wide to Mario Rui, and he played a one-touch pass forward to Insigne, who eventually picked out Almas's run. And we saw the vertical play again with about 15 minutes to play when Kaladu Koulibaly went vertical to Gianluca Gaetano, which led to a shot that didn't miss by much. So this appears to be another feature of Spalletti's attack, fewer horizontal side-to-side passes, and a more direct down-your-throat approach. The last thing I want to touch on quickly is our substitutes, which I think were telling as well. I found two substitutes particularly interesting. The first was that Kevin Malqui replaced Di Lorenzo in the second half. This was the first friendly that neither Malqui nor Zanoli started because Di Lorenzo was back. Maybe I'm reading too much into this, but the fact that Malqui was the first one off the bench to replace Di Lorenzo suggests to me that Malqui is ahead of Zanoli for the backup right back position. However, not long after that, Zanoli replaced Mario Rui at left back. That was the other substitute I found interesting. If I'm not mistaken, this was the first time Zanoli has featured at left back this summer. Now, I'm not sure what to make of this. On one hand, I think Spalletti didn't really have many options. In previous matches, Filippo Costa was the guy to come off the bench to replace Mario Rui, but Costa has COVID, so Zanoli was really the only one left. But on the other hand, it did make me wonder whether Spalletti was testing out Zanoli at left back, perhaps as an emergency option if we're not able to sign anyone. It's quite possible that it was both, so that's something to keep an eye on. That's all I've got for this match review. I hope you enjoyed it. That will also do it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please share it with a friend and give us a 5-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5, and you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forza Napoli Pod. 
I'll be back later in the week with another episode of Forza Napoli Worldwide, so stay tuned for that. But until next time, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.